Hey, why don't we uh, we pray this morning and then we're going to crack into this um, passage that we've got from Luke's uh, birth narratives where Luke's just kind of laying out all the things that God is accomplishing in people's lives through Jesus. And and even before he's even born, uh, he's he's doing amazing things uh, in people's lives so that they and we in turn could have a knowledge of our salvation and a relationship that leads to really deep and concrete and un uh, movable, undeniable faith that then shapes our practice of life and how we live. So uh, let's pray and, and we'll get into things this morning. Uh, loving God, uh, how good it is that you by your spirit would place in the hearts of people like our boy, Dr. Luke, uh, to write this, this orderly account of uh, the arrival and the birth and then the life and death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, uh, that it can change our worlds, uh, that, it, that it would turn our own lives upside down, that, that in these things we would have this experience of from darkness to life, uh, things from uncertainty to hope, uh, from our hearts would move from hostility and indifference to affection and worship. Uh, now as we turn to your gospel, would your spirit enliven our hearts and our minds to its transforming truth that we too would have this, this certainty of faith, uh, of your love for us that deals with our sin and makes us your children and in a way that is beyond doubt that holds us in place. Amen. Well, on the, uh, on the 19th of March, I think it was, it was certainly by the 22nd of March, we made the call to close uh, down our church and we haven't held a service here since then. Uh, no one's been able to come or go from this building and, unless they're doing some kind of functional thing like checking lights and, and smoke detectors. Uh, people have been wandering through doing things like that. Um, so it's been about nine weeks, uh, since, since that has happened and we've been under these, these new, uh, change conditions due to COVID-19. In the past few weeks, though, as I've been talking to people, chatting to people, uh, there's has emerged, I guess, you know, in people's conversations. And sometimes it's hard for us to put our finger on exactly what we're feeling. But there's this this palpable feeling, if you like, of heaviness, uh, of the weight of this new environment, these new conditions uh, closing in on us as people. And, and we're asking questions like, when are we going to be able to resume our normal lives. You know, when, when, when will things change? And all along the way in this uh, lockdown thing, we've been told that that will happen when the conditions are right, when, when things are right for that to take place. Nevertheless, as even though we're being reassured and told that things will come good along the way, um, uh, things, have, as things are more and more shut down, uh, we are filled with this sense of unrest, this sense of of, of unease. But pushing against that unease and holding it at bay is also that sense of anticipation of hope, uh, that things will turn, that things will change. But as the longer as time goes on, uh, I guess the greater the sense of anticipation and maybe the more, uh, cloudy that gets. So when Scott Morrison announced, um, a couple of Fridays ago on the 8th of May that restrictions could now be, uh, were being ever so slightly, uh, eased. A little ray of, a little sliver of hope dawned over our COVID-19 condition. 
and kind of let us know that was the, the, the dawning of the moment that let us know that things were on the reverse, that things were changing. Uh, and it actually had a transforming effect on people. Now we're talking about two months of, of, of COVID conditions. And I've got to tell you, to, to be honest, our uh, resilience capacities have been exposed through this little season. Our, our culture of instant gratification, of, of selfish, autonomous entitlements, uh, of eroded and perhaps non-existent uh, idea of social obligation, of social responsibilities has left us ill-equipped to, to deal with things like this, to deal with suffering, to, to deal with restrictions, to, to just be able to wait. We, we haven't done it well at all. Well, the historic setting that Luke uh, takes us into with these uh, twin birth narratives is one of centuries of waiting, is one of centuries of anticipation of waiting for the reversal of environments and circumstances to come about. For the past 600 plus years, the people of God have lived under uh, continuous foreign rule. Uh, since the Assyrian, the Babylonian exile, since they returned, they have lived under continuous uh, foreign rule. In the last 400 years of their history, uh, it's, it's been an environment of, of, you know, kind of isolation for them. There, there has not been the usual presence, if you like, of the prophetic word, of, of the activity of God amongst his people. Kent Hughes describes Israel, the journey of Israel at this point as, as being like a caravan out on a desert road, traveling a desert road, being swallowed up and overtaken uh, by darkness and the shadow of death. Indeed, that's kind of how Isaiah describes it in, in his description of what uh, Israel will be like. They live under oppressive restrictions. Uh, they, they have controlled religious freedom and there's been silence from their God for, for centuries now. However, in tension with this environment uh, in which faithful people live, they, they kind of clung to... Uh, the promises the, of earlier promises of, of reversal, of the change of things to come. Promises spoken to their ancestors like uh, Abraham and, and David and even the prophets of a day when God would act in human history, uh, when he would send this mysterious messianic figure that emerges through the Old Testament who would come and he would establish the dawn of a new reality, the dawn of a new age, a reign of a kingdom of justice and peace and prosperity. They lived in anticipation of this. They lived in anticipation of what Malachi spoke of in, in his book, when those who fear uh, the, the name of the Lord, and, and that is those who, who live uh, with, with a joyful awe of God that shapes their lives, that they would see the sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness rise with healing in its wings. A dawning of a new day of redemption, the reversal of things, the restoration of things, the healing of things. And, 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 and when that would come, they, they would go out leaping like a calf from its stalls. And I don't know if you've ever seen little potty calves, uh, when, when they get out of their little cages and that, that the movements kind of defy physics. They kind of almost twist as they jump and leap for joy about about the new environment they've been released into. Well, what we have here as into this situation of these birth narratives is a people who live with a palpable sense 
of unease and oppression, but who live with anticipation, who live longing for this dawning of this new environment, for God, for the signs of God to start to do something new. Well, once again in our setting, Luke sets the story of these narratives, these birth narratives and the scenes in their facts. And he describes the facts around uh, this happy occasion of the birth of John in terms of the Lord's great mercy. Again, what Luke wants us to understand is that all these events have divine appointments, that it's God that's at work here uh, behind the scenes. Uh, Mary, who has been staying with Elizabeth and Zachariah, is now heading home, probably heading home to, to get ready for the birth of her own child, presumably back up to Joseph, and who knows what kind of crazy has been going on up with him. I imagine that by now he's had his own visit from an angel to, to let him know uh, about what's going on. And as Mary kind of leaves and heads back up north, Luke turns the spotlight back on to uh, uh, the birth of John uh, and Elizabeth there. The, the whole town has, has gathered together and they're sharing uh, in with Elizabeth. They're rejoicing over uh, her finally having this son. Uh, and the object of their praise, the object of Elizabeth's praise, of the whole town's praise is, again, as, as Luke says, it's the mercy of God. It's the acts of kindness to God in human history. Uh, the promise of the angel to Zechariah back in the temple is now coming true. This child has not only brought joy uh, to Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, but this whole region now is filled with happiness. You know, the, the activity of God in the lives of people, when it's rightly interpreted, when people see it, it always brings joy. It always uh, brings a sense of confidence around things. You know, there's been eight days now of, of celebration and joy around the arrival of this child into the world. And it's now come uh, to the time to actually welcome the child uh, in to recognise him as a part of the actual community of God, uh, a community, people uh, whose lives are distinct and they're shaped by the revealed goodness of God and, and, and people whose lives are lived under the faithfulness of, of God, live with the anticipation of his promises, live under the anticipation of uh, his promised salvation. A circumcision on the eighth day was a ritual that God had given Abraham as an enduring uh, symbolism uh, of his special promises to them and their distinct place in history. And, and, and also, I guess, for them as a commitment, the act was the commitment to say that they're going to live accordingly, that they're going to live under the, to walk faithfully before their God. Well, Zachariah and Elizabeth have both trusted in the promises of salvation are given at the establishing of this ritual and they've lived accordingly and they have walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the covenant that would eventually come through people like Moses. That's what Luke tells us in verse 6. And now uh, to demonstrate their ongoing commitment to reproduce uh, in their child a faith in trust in God in which they themselves have lived, uh, they, they take him to, to, to get circumcised at the temple there and that. It's just, I guess, another historic marker uh, of, of the faithfulness of this couple. 
Uh, even though uh, there's amazing events uh, surrounding the birth of their son, they are not lifting themselves above uh, anyone else or seeing themselves as having uh, some kind of, of, of special privilege or, or of greater privilege than anyone else. Rather, they continue to submit to God's designs for life, uh, to live in anticipation and under his promises. It's a beautiful picture of two uh, people who respond to the great mercy of God in their lives by continued faith, uh, by continued humility, uh, of anticipation of the promises of God. And a question uh, kind of emerges here for us, if we want to think about it as we look at their lives, is is how is our faith shaped or or or, or what? What are our responses to, to the, the, the mercy of God in our lives? The mercy of God to, in our lives that we've seen in Jesus in its fullness. How do we respond, uh, to what, to the activity of God in our lives with continued humility or, or with gaining humility, uh, with trust, joy and faithfulness that actually then shapes our practices of life? Because that's what we're seeing, uh, here with, um, Zachariah. And Elizabeth. Well, you know, there was no actual ritual. There was a ritual for welcoming someone into the covenant community, but there was no ritual for actually naming a child at the time. Uh, that right, that expectation fell to the father at the birth of the child. However, Zachariah can't speak. He's been unable to speak. So, and even up to this point, he's still mute. So the relatives decide that they're going to take matters into their own hands can't be welcoming somebody into the community of God and into this community if they don't have a name, right? And, you know, that's kind of how, how families are. There's always this one relative or a particular group of, of relatives who, who, who think they know what's best for everyone and, and the whole family kind of thing. Uh, so they start up with their pushy demands to name uh, the child after his dad, Zachariah, which was, you know, the cultural expectation, the done thing. And being, uh, I guess, their first and, let's face it, only son that they would have, uh, naming him after Zachariah would ensure that the, the, the family name kept going. It makes sense. Uh, all, all, all that there is tied up in Zachariah, all his dreams, all his hopes, his wealth, whatever he can pass on will be passed on to Zachariah Jr. So it does make sense to, to name uh, the child after him. But Elizabeth shocks them by telling them basically to pull their heads in and that the child shall be called John. Well, the relatives, uh, probably on Zachariah's side, I think she's trying to pull some kind of swifty while her husband can't talk. Wives are like that, you know. Uh, he's out of action. So they're trying to now communicate with, with, with Zachariah, which is not easy because Zachariah can't speak. And from what we can gather, because they're the ones making all the signs, Zachariah's obviously deaf as well. So it's a tough go. So Zachariah finally asks for a writing tablet. And on that writing tablet, he affirms uh, not merely what Elizabeth has said, but also what the angel has said to him. And he writes this phrase, his name is John. The way Luke records it for us is that the, the, the writing is emphatic. It would have been like he wrote it in all caps with exclamation marks. And in a way, John kind of corrects his wife here. Uh, not 
not this child shall be called John from this point onwards, but rather he is called John. He has always been called John. Ever since the angel named him, he has been John. And with this simple written sentence, Zachariah uh, reveals a heart that's undergone a surgery of the corrective work of the Spirit of God that, that deepens faith. You know, as, as I was going through this this morning, I, I thought, you know, God's corrective hand in our life it, it is never about shaming us. It's never about, you know, humiliating us or merely just crushing us into the ground. Rather, when God disciplines us, when God seeks to restore, it's always to restore us. It's always to deepen our faith. It's always the grace of God. And that's what Zachariah's experienced for the last nine months, the transforming grace of God. And we said uh, last week, you know, grace, God's grace to us is like wind to the sail of a boat. It all depends on how it's received. The same grace that can drive a boat home is the same grace that can crush it, smash it on the rocks. And that's kind of like what our hearts are like with grace. It all depends on, on how we want to receive the grace of God in our lives. Is it corrective or, or, or otherwise? Well, here we see is submission and obedience to God. Uh, the words on the tablet showed that God had done a gracious work in Zachariah's life, bringing the old man to a, a sure and certain faith. The discipline of God has transformed uh Doubt to faith, faith that trusts. Uh, it has been the, the, this has been the mercy of God, the work of God on the heart of Zachariah. And with that, Zachariah's tongue is loosed. And the first words that come out of his mouth are, are to bless God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He literally quotes our King David. Now before we get into that, I want to just pause. And this is just another uh, moment of, of genuine faith being expressed, if you like. In, in writing on that tablet, his name is John. Zachariah is doing more than just responding to past events, uh, doing more than just uh, responding to uh, his time, his encounter with the angel, the nine months of silence that he's had with had during his pregnancy, and no doubt, Zachariah has been, you know, quietly sitting in the corner while Elizabeth and Mary are both talking and sharing stories about the promises spoken to them about their respective child. And this great priest whose heart and mind is steeped in scripture is just joining all the dots about who this Jesus is that has come into his house and how his son John will be the one to um, go ahead of him. And as he does that, and as he writes down his name is, is John, he is actually relinquishing uh, the events of the future to God. He is trusting God, not, not his own efforts, not his own. He's letting go of his own name and everything he's made of himself and trusting God by naming his son John. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know, they'd waited their whole lives for this moment, prayed their whole married lives for this moment. As I said, everything is tied up in this son, not just joy and blessing, but lineage and descendants. Uh, to have an heir in whom you can pass on your name, who survives you, is, is everything in the culture. 
And as Zachariah signs, signs the name, his name is John, not, not Zachariah. He signs it all away. He gives up everything his heart has longed for in faithful submission and recognition that God is doing something greater than merely giving him a son. God is acting to show his great mercy uh, to visit his people, to forgive and save him and them for their sins, to which his son is going to be the one to prepare uh, people's hearts to receive. And his heart is the second heart to be softened by this news. And now it just explodes uh, with joy and praise at such a God who, who is now bringing light into darkness, who gives hope to those living in the, in the land of the shadow of death by coming and personally visiting. Zachariah, he's not just, he's not talking about his son in this song that he explodes into. He is revealing his understanding of Mary's child, Jesus who his son will prepare people for. Zechariah sees the first signs of the, of the promised reversal um, coming to his land. His heart steeped in, in the word of God is now joining the dots and, he, and, he's, and it's coming to life as, as genuine real faith for him. Another question emerges out of, out of all that's going on here. What do we do with the mercy of God in our lives? And have our hearts been steeped in scripture enough to be able to join the dots when it happens? How do we respond uh, to the news about Jesus as it comes into our lives, into our living rooms? Do we think that we just merely deserve God's mercy, like it's something that we've earned, that it's something that we're entitled to uh, because we've done something, been through something? Or Or is the goodness of God to come and visit us, to save us from our sin, poured back in praise. Do we sing about it? Another question to ask here in this moment is how prepared are you to let go of holding on to your self-constructed uh, security? Um, how prepared are you just to allow God to, God's mercy in your life to shape everything to come in the future? Because you know he's good, because you know he's a God who comes and responds. The result of the faithfulness of Elizabeth and and Zachariah to the activity of God uh, in their community is awe. Uh, These events are talked about amongst the people. And that talking is not like a gossip or Chinese whisper, but it's it's that the facts were laid up in their hearts. The people of the hill country... um, laid up all that was happening in their hearts as they anticipated what this child John might be. And Luke gives us a bit of a spoiler alert by adding at the end here that the hand of the Lord was on him. And here what we're seeing is the faintest sliver of of this anticipated light begin to dawn, light that Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 9, some 750 years ago, that a people... um, a people of the Jordan, the land of Galilee, that's the, the hill country, you know, would see a great light dawn on them. There's a whisper in the air. I couldn't help but think of C.S. Lewis's um, uh, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe when the children come and the beavers see them and, and all of a sudden there's a whisper in the air of, of what God is doing. Uh, he's on the move. And, and what, what will this child John do? How is he going to shed even more light on things to come. 
as he as as he grows and matures into his he prepares people's hearts for for the ministry of Jesus. Well, like Mary, Zachariah now explodes with a joyous song. And we might think and we probably might expect that his song would be all about his son and his experience. However, as we will see, this song is all actually about the grace of God and how he has now visited and redeemed his people through Jesus. John's son, John or Zachariah's son, actually only gets one verse, one line in the whole song. And it's merely about how his role will be to point toward uh, who Jesus is, in whom this visitation is taking place, in whom all this redemption is about to take place. We're going to have to put that uh, that song on ice for another two weeks. We, we're kind of blown up for time to get to it today. Uh, but as we wrap things up this morning, I, I kind of wonder, and Sandy kind of mentioned it this morning about the different environment that we're living in, but but, but how is God working on your heart, you know, in these different environments, in this restricted environment? You know, Israel had 2,000 years, but at least 600 plus years. Zechariah had nine months of, of, of thinking. We, we've been in this condition now for eight weeks. Is, are we, are we treating it as an opportunity to deepen our faith? Are we stewarding the time to trust in God? That God is actually in control, that He has already visited us and done much to secure us, to, to, to give us a faith that's unshakable. It's a little self-indulgent to compare our environment to the one surrounding this birth narrative, but we can take a principle from it. How do we respond How, when we recognize God has broken into darkness and the silence of our world, into our hearts, with the news that He has personally come to change things? to bring light, to bring hope, to bring healing. How, how does that actually shape our lives as, as we live uh, out in our community now? For Zachariah, this all kind of dawned on him in real terms when Mary turned up with the, uh, with the unborn child, Jesus. And no doubt, as we said, as he silently sat there and listened to the, the stories of promise attached to, to, to this child that Mary was going to have, a story of salvation, of of salvation that God's bringing, faith in God sprung to life in a way that he trusted God for everything that was down the track that he couldn't see, allowing him to even surrender his whole life. And his whole life really was tied up in this son. And he surrenders it. It was the news about Jesus that allowed Zachariah to name his son John essentially saying, my life is shaped by the promises around another son, Jesus. We have the full story of Jesus and how and how, how he has come and visited the world, not merely lived but died on our behalf and brought us into a living new relationship with God. The question is, how are we sitting with that? How real is that? Is it shaping our lives at this time? Is it bringing light into our world. I truly hope that it has. And in this time, we've been able to sit with that more and more. And if you have uh, any questions around that or anything that you'd like to know further, uh, feel free. Uh, all my details are on our webpage, on our internet, whatever. You can get my phone number and that from anywhere. Uh, I'm more than happy to have a chat around these things. But let's pray and close out this morning. Hey, loving God, we thank you that you're a God who doesn't stay distant, that you come and you have visited us. And this morning, we have been reading about the birth narratives of when that took place and how even in that space, uh, the news of Jesus coming just 
transformed uh, this man, Zachariah's heart. And next week we get to look at them. Actually, not next week, but the following week we get to look at his song. And we we pray this morning uh, that your mercy to us would continue to shape our lives and um, bring deeper faith into our hearts. And for those who haven't encountered that, as they think about what it is, what is the mercy of God, maybe that's enough of a question to prompt a conversation. And we pray that takes place. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.